Thanks for listening to the Risen Nation podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. To learn more about us, find us on social media or go to risennation.org. And honestly, I'm so happy that you guys came. I, I was like, we're just gonna see what happens here. And then during worship, Tanner's like, so what do we do in the new building if this many people show up? I said, maybe week one, we just have to do two services. I don't, I don't really know. But really quickly, I wanna honor um, all of our volunteers and staff, especially our production team. They like showed up this morning and just figured all this out. Can you guys honor our team? Jathan, Lance. Yeah. And uh, Jathan, just give us one hair swoop. Just one. Yeah. Wow. Sheesh. And then I don't know. Uh, how many of you know who Autumn Joy is, our, our director? Um, she's another one, man. I, I have been watching her, like, work so hard to get everything ready. And then on top of that, we threw her for a loop and decided to do two weeks here. And uh, there's nothing more important than our children. So is, is Autumn Joy somewhere where we could, like, could we surprise her and bring her in here and just all of us go crazy, like, the minute she walks in, just to honor her? Are you down? Okay, all right. And just so you know, it's only two weeks of zero to six, right? Okay, two weeks of zero to six, and then after that, we have our full, our full children's church back. But where is she gonna come in from? The back? Uh, every, everyone's pointing different ways, so. <laughs> when she comes in, I want us to like, I want everybody to stand up and just go wild. Well, I can't see anything up here, to be honest. Welcome to church, this is how we do it here. We just figure this is like a giant living room, surprise party. Is she coming? That's the question. There she is, everyone honored, Autumn Joy. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yes. Wow, hi, come on down. Hey, all we wanted to do, <laughs> we just wanted to honor you, Autumn Joy, and tell you that you're incredible. My kids, listen, I have to say, since you started doing children's church, my son talks about Jesus way more, so, and he says he learned it in class. So whatever you guys are doing back there, incredible job, so we just wanna honor you. We love you. That was it. Thank you. Unless you want to give a speech or anything. No speech? Okay. Speech. Guys, great job. That was phenomenal. Everyone stood up at the same time. Okay, cool. Well, we're going to see where this goes. I, I, um, hmm. When we started in the colony, how many of you were in the colony days? Wow. That's so awesome. We have grown a lot. Um, but when we, when we had moved into the colony, uh, I had spent some time talking about how we rightly respond to the Lord. So this is gonna be familiar for some of you, but with this transition and, and just how faithful God has been, um, it's really important that we, that, we don't, uh, that we don't get tired of hearing the same thing because what's happening 
is the Lord is raising up Levites. He's raising up a priesthood. And our desire very much is that we don't have church attenders, but we have glory producers in the house. Okay, I can't do it, sorry. Um, Jason, is this okay? Am I gonna mess something up? Well, we'll see, I'll just stay. Um, but we have, we have, our heart is to have people here that don't just attend a service, okay? But people here that actually come realizing I'm not just a butt in a seat, um, but I am the habitation of God yeah. in the earth. And what's gonna happen in a room when a whole group of people ascend the hill of the Lord? And that's really what I wanna talk about is ascending worship. Because we, we are, we're in a moment where the Lord has changed everything. And, and I'm amazed at how the Lord is taking care of us, how he's provided for us, how he's guided us. And I only believe it's because of the covenant we've given him. And the covenant that we've given him is, Lord, we will not falter on our pursuit. And Lord, if you have to shed things along the way that are no longer worthy of the same pursuit, God, do whatever it is that you have to do, but you are first and foremost here. That's gonna take a group of people that want nothing else other than him. And the way that worship works is worship gets more potent as we do it. It's one of the only things that I think gets more potent as you go. You know, like how many of you have ever bitten into a lemon before, right? And, and at first you're like, you know, it's sour, but then your taste buds kind of get used to it as you go on. In worship, it's always the first bite. Are you tracking with me? In worship, it's, it's always the most potent place and it comes through intimacy and history with God. And so I've noticed something about God that as I write a story, as he writes a story with me, the ups and the downs, the bitter and the sweet, we've talked about this before, but how the anointing is even produced in that God used myrrh and cinnamon. He told the apothecary, I want you to use that which is bitter and that which is sweet. And, and I'm gonna compound it together. That it's actually in the Old Testament of they would compound the bitter and the sweet spices and it would produce a fragrance onto God. But you can't have just sweet Right? How many of you know you have to overcome something? Jesus himself is baptized in the Jordan and the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. I mean, that is fascinating to me. That messes with my personal theology, but it's in the Bible, so it must be of him. Right? But there is this thing called history with God that only comes through intimacy and secret altars with God. And I've, and I've learned, like even in Matthew 25, the 10 virgins, you know, five are wise five are unwise, but the five that are wise don't just have oil in their lamps. They have reserves of oil. They don't just have light for the world to see. They've got light that nobody knows about. And that's what I, I want to be known as a man that's got something in secret that nobody knows about. I mean, I've learned even when God releases a revelation to you, when God releases a new season unto you, it's so imperative that you don't release it before he tells you to release it. Because you're building a home with God when nobody's watching. And this is what changed our whole church was an encounter in 2017 where the Lord said, you've never built a home with me. And all of a sudden, I, I, I realized that those that dwell in the secret place of the Most High, the word says, will abide under the shadow. That word shadow is, I will hover over you. 
And so we want to see healing. We want to see power. We want to see the anointing. But are you in the shadow? Because your shadow can't heal anybody. But when God overshadows you, everybody comes under the shadow that you're under everywhere that you go, right? And so the Lord is teaching us what it means to build a house with him. But we can't build a house with followers of a ministry. We have to build a house with followers of him only, which turns every single one of you into a kingdom of kings and priests. And I feel like the Lord is saying, I want to relay some foundations of how we respond when God walks into a room. Because I'm telling you, I, I've watched it. I've watched it over and over again. I remember one specific service where, where Savannah, one of our worshipers here that I, I leaned over to Gabriel during worship. She's on the floor. I'm like, Savannah, gone. She's, we have lost Savannah. Um, but you know why she always gets lost is because she has a secret altar with God. And it, and it, and it pours off of her, right? I watch the video like every day of you at habitation going crazy and uh, prophesying and falling out. And I'm like, God, do that in everybody, you know? But I remember one specific service, the Lord really came at the end and, and I was watching Savannah on the floor weeping, right, before the Lord. And the person right next to her, if it was you, I, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna tell you what service it is, it is so you can't figure it out. The person right next to her has got their arms crossed and they're just staring, right? And, and they could be maybe encountering the Lord in their stare, I, I don't know. But I'll tell you, there was an obvious difference between one is literally encountering God, like God is standing there, one is encountering him and one is not. And I often ask the question like, Lord, why do only 15% of the people get healed, right? And how many of you know if Jesus was here, everybody would get healed, right? If Jesus was present, he, there was nowhere that he went and laid hands on somebody and it just didn't work. Like, Everyone that he laid hands on, every single room he walked into, people got up, right? And I, and I believe we are coming into a day where before we even get to the point of calling out sickness, everybody's healed in a room. This is what we're contending for in our worship is that we're, we're so lost in the bridegroom. We're so lost in the king that he has the, he has the freedom to have lordship inside of a house. Are you with me? And so I've, I've wondered, man, what would it be like if every single person inside of a room was engaged and knew exactly when he walked in? And what, what, what would that be like? I think in part, how many of you were at Habitation Conference? I think in part, there was moments of Habitation where I would turn around and I didn't see anybody just looking. I saw everybody engaged, right? And people get into this mindset that it's about the soul, but God provokes a response, and I'm going to drill this home until the moment the first chord starts, there is something inside of you that erupts in worship for him because this is what God is, is doing. And, and it requires history and intimacy and what he's building in this house is history with him. And, and listen, may, listen, may our, our intimacy always be bigger than our ministries. May our hearts always be bigger than our influence. I love, I, I saw this video that like went viral by Michael Miller and he said, you know, he doesn't say, well done. I mean, it says, well done, my good and faithful servant. It doesn't say, well done, my good and influential servant. And, and what we're in the moment of is God is separating. God is, there's a great harvest, but how many of you know in harvest, you have to separate the wheats from the tares. And it's that thing inside of us that so many people build so that we can get the recognition of people. And what God is looking for is people that build, that can crawl off the stage and no one notice they left. This is the aim. This is what we're going after. But last week, 
I talked about Gideon and how the Lord is removing idols, right, in this hour. And the story is not just about a, an amazing, I mean, it would make a great movie, but, you know, it's not just about 300 defeating an army, even though they didn't do anything. They didn't have one sword. They, have a, they had a trumpet and a torch and a, and a pot. And the Lord won the fight for them. But, but the whole story really is about this young man who is told by God, I want you to tear down every idol in your father's house. And, and Gideon is under the shadow of a previous generation's idolatry, right? And Gideon, uh, what I love about him is he's hiding in a wine press and it's, and it's exactly what I'm talking about. He's, he's in this secret place with the Lord and the Lord doesn't come to the ones on the streets. He comes to the ones in the secret place and says, tear down the idols in your father's house. And once you dealt with the idols in your father's house, I'm gonna come and defeat a whole army. It says, as if they're one man, right? Like the secret of you don't have to fight your enemies, you just gotta stay in his presence. It's phenomenal. You don't, you don't have to rebuke the devil, you just gotta to minister to the Lord and the devils begin to flee, right? But Gideon, he's told in First Chronicles, listen, or I'm sorry, he's told in Judges chapter six, I want you to build an altar in the proper order. And this is what I wanna to talk today about. Build an altar in the proper order. We've, you guys have heard it probably every single time I've preached, First Corinthians or First Chronicles 13 through 15. The one major problem that they had is they had the right desire but didn't have the right order. David had the right desire of, I want to bring the glory into my city. How many of you would love to see the glory of God flood DFW? I'm telling you, it is. It absolutely is. But, but we don't just want him to come and have a move. We want him to stay. We want him to have a place where he goes, you know what? I can live here. I can remain here. I found people that I have found rest in. This is the aim. This is the goal. But, but David doesn't follow the order in chapter 13. And in chapter 15, he says, Uzzah died because we didn't follow the proper order. So listen, just write some of these verses down. 1 Corinthians 14, 33 and verse 40, listen, verse 33 says, for God is not an author of confusion, but of peace. And then if, jumping to verse 40, it says, let all things be done decently and in order. Everyone say, in order. That word order, listen, means to set. It means to ordain, to arrange its succession. Everything in God is in a perfect sequence and succession. If we do this right, our kids are more anointed because the nature of God only increases, it doesn't decrease. That's why we have to ask ourselves the question, why have revivals ended? I love, I, I love revivals and we honor them and the people that were marked from them, it's amazing. But I'm talking about a corporate sustained move of God that will not end. What was it that caused them to end? Because it's inconsistent, Bill Johnson says, inconsistent with the nature of God for God to move and decide to stop. So there's something in our part that we have to learn called order that provokes God to a response. So listen, marriage has an order, worship has an order, giving has an order, everything in sequence and succession. God is continually, listen, everything he does, down to let there be light, creation is still obeying. The whole universe is growing at the speed of light in every direction because he said it one time. He doesn't know how not to expand, okay? But, I, but I, again, I wanna, I wanna talk to you about order, but I want you to realize something. I want you guys to hear my heart in this today, that I'm talking to you as Levites, 
I'm talking to you as leaders, all right? I'm not necessarily, today we, we want Jesus to encounter people that have never encountered him for the first time. But how many of you know there's got to be the 12? Are you with me? There, Jesus would go and he would find those that he then could build upon, upon the, pros, the apostles and the prophets, and he would build his church. He says the gates of hell cannot stand against it or stop it, but he had to first find the 12. And this is, what I, this is the moment I think we're in. I think, I know there's a lot more than 12, but I think we're in that moment of God is identifying the 12. He's identifying the remnant that's gonna begin to, listen, build a culture here, right? Because we've had a culture as Risen Nation, but I feel like we went into this to be vulnerable this season of, that was amazing, and it was, and it was this kind of wilderness season, this space between two destinations. And now we are at the end of one season and we are coming into the beginning of another one. And it's so imperative that all the way back to the nest days and the coffee shop in 2000 and whatever, when we started this thing, that the culture and the promise and the covenant remain the same unto God. And so the Lord is inviting a whole body of people into the same promise, into the same covenant that would say this is a house for the Lord. And so I can't talk to you guys like you're just church attenders. I have to talk to you like you're all on staff. Don't ask me for a job. Ask Tanner or Michelle. We, we, don't, we don't have any openings at the moment. Um, but I want to talk to you guys like leaders because I believe that this is the potent, this is the first fruits of what God is going to do here. And I want every single person that walks through this door to go, these people are different. These people have something weird and psychotic, in a good way, in their eyes. Like a word, like they're just peculiar. I, I wanna be known as strange. Strange to the world. Rejected by men, yet chosen by God. There has to be something, listen, distinct about this community. I am not interested in having another church. I am not interested in just having a big community to have a big community. I, I want to have a distinct people that cause our kids to understand that raising the dead should be normal in our life. So we cannot, listen, contend for power and not understand the secret of power. So I want to talk to you about the secret, listen, of God's power. All right? How do we respond that provokes God's power to erupt inside of a room? Okay? So just bear with me. I'm not talking to... First timers, right? We're, we're talking. Is anybody saved inside of the room? Can we grow? If you are saved by Jesus Christ, raise your hand. Okay, this makes me feel better. Amen. Thank you. Write some of these down. I don't have time to get into all of them, but second, listen, Chronicles 5. Just study the whole chapter, but specifically, verses 13 and 14. They had just finished, okay? They had just finished the temple. Uh, Solomon had finished that his, that his father desired to build for the Lord. But David's vision was too big for his generation to carry it. And I love that. Our vision should succeed our generation, right? Our vision should be bigger than just something we can accomplish on our own. If, if it doesn't take William and Benji and Ellie, it's not big enough, right? And so David has this desire. Solomon completes and fulfills his father's heart toward God, and it's done, and it's perfection. And when they dedicate the temple, the Lord shows up, but he doesn't show up until, listen, in verse 13, actually, I'm, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start in verse 14. And you don't, again, don't have to turn there, but, and it was the duty, listen, of the trumpeters, okay? 
and singers to make themselves heard in unison. Everybody say in unison. In praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. To the Lord. Not to the people, but actually to the Lord. Okay? And just a side note to give you context. They took 120 people and all they did was blow trumpets. I find that fascinating. Like, we want to be um, like you know, unique and authentic in church today. You imagine one trumpeter being like, I'm gonna do it differently. I'm not gonna do the same chord. I'm gonna do this one. And one guy out of 120 is going, eh. and I mean, there was something about they had to be in unison. They had to be one, right? So, you have a, so you've got singers, you've got dancers, you've got the whole group, the whole community. Everybody's got a duty. Everybody's got a role. And this is what I want you to see. You have a job to do when you walk inside of this room. Every single person that walk, you have a job to do when you walk inside of this room. But 120 of them, all they were to do was to blow a trumpet. Okay, so they get to this point where they're ready, they're prepared, they're, they're expecting. I imagine like the whole atmosphere is electric because they know that God is about to come and he's gonna dedicate his own house. Like what would it be like if we get to the new building, right? And by the way, my dad's preaching on Easter, so <laughs> buckle up, you know what I'm saying? I just love when my dad preaches. I cringe but I love it. You know what I'm saying? Cedo. I told my dad, you know how they make those shirts nowadays where it's got like William Seymour on it and stuff? I told my dad we should make a shirt just got Cedo's face on it, you know? <laughs> He'd be very angry, but it'd be, it'd be great. Um, <laughs> Gabriel, get on it. Boom. <laughs> Cedo. So everybody has a role when you walk into this room that causes a fragrance in this room. It's not just up to Kaylee. It's not just up to the musicians. And I know that this is simple, but if we don't see this, we aren't gonna see the power that we wanna see. And we'll just go deep and deep into series and God will still be waiting for us to become Levites. Okay? So, so it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers, this is verse 14, to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised, when the trumpets and the cymbals and the other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, they would say, for he is stead his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. I am believing, I love, we're, we're not gonna have any more fog machines. My dad rebuked me one time, it won't happen again. No more fog ma machines. He said, your fog machines and tight jeans ain't cutting it, son. I said, yes, sir. We want the glory of God. I, I want, if, if some smoke is gonna come in here, may it be the glory cloud. And may us all fall on our face before God, okay? So the glory, listen, filled the house and it was so thick, listen, that the priests could not stand to minister to the Lord because of the cloud. They couldn't stay standing because God took over. Like there, I, I get a picture of like, hooray! and then they just, and everyone's on the floor. Because it was never about the noise to begin with. It was never about singing the right song to begin with. It was about a heart that said, Lord, we've, we have prepared this for you. And something provoked God to come, and when he came, everything got silent. Like I, I would say some of the most amazing rooms I've ever been in when God shows up is the room goes silent. Anyone notice in worship when it's like a really, like it's like intense and they're going alpha, oh man, and then it just slows down and all of a sudden you're like, what just happened? 
Anyone know what I'm talking about? My dad calls it a downshift in the spirit, but it jolts you forward. We gotta, we gotta start. I want, I want our whole community to think like this, right? That when I come up here, I literally go, Lord, what is it that you want now? I don't wanna just close worship. People struggle with transitions because they, they how do I say this nicely? We struggle, well, it's not, <laughs> I know, I know. We, we struggle with transitions because we really don't understand his presence. And I'm not saying I've got it figured out or anything like that. I'm just saying what we need is people that, that don't care about necessarily who's in the room. If it's been 30 minutes, if it's been an hour and a half, sometimes I can feel the pull of people that are like, are they gonna stop singing soon? You know what that does for me? It makes me wanna sing longer. Just saying, just saying. Because I'm, I wanna be so intentional of Lord, does this please you? Does this fulfill your heart and provoke you to cause miracles to break out? Because you might be annoyed in the moment until you stand up out of a wheelchair, right? And there's nothing about God. I love what my cousin Michael says. He says, there's nothing about God that's balanced. We want balance in church. You know, we gotta balance the spirit and the word as if they're separate, right? We gotta balance, too, you know, too much prophetic, you might get weird, you know, too much evangelism, you might not like worship anymore. We just don't know, you know, like we, got all, we gotta stay balanced. There, there's nothing balanced, nothing at all balanced about a devil manifesting and coming out of a person. Anyone ever seen a balanced uh, devil coming out of anybody? Like, thank you for that, appreciate it. We'll move on now. Like. We want everything to be so kosher and we don't wanna ruffle feathers. I, I want all the feathers to fall off. Like, I, I, we are pursuing something that requires you. Not just us, but it requires you. And my heart is, is that you drive here on Sunday mornings with a different mentality. Because I'm telling you, if we wanna see the miracles that we wanna see, it's gonna take a whole body of people pursuing the same thing. We, we're, we're growing from anointed people leading people to everyone being anointed and it's gonna go from anointing to glory, okay? So it fills the house. So that's, that's what order produces, right? They are in unison. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody's pursuing the same thing. They're blowing the trumpets, 120 of them, perfect key. It's excellent unto the Lord. We grew up in a way that the sanctuary had to be clean growing up. Like, I mean, and I'm in, please, in the new building and here, let's keep it clean. Let's honor it, right, as God's house, believe it or not. But man, like we, we would go to church and, and, and my uncle is obviously like this and my dad. And if they would see, they would, they would stop because it was important enough to them that God would be honored in how we do every single thing we do here. Listen, from who we are as ushers, who we are as greeters, who we are with our kids, that all of it be unto the Lord and it be excellent, laid perfectly for him. So all we do is set the table perfect and if he wants to come and ruin it and have a party, that's up to him, right? But our job is to set the table for him, right? So there's an order that God requires, believe it or not. I wanna to talk to you like leaders, right? There, there's, there's practice that goes into to our team being ready, not to just minister to you, but there's actual 
practice that goes into ministry to the Lord so they can't just come and not know what they're going into, right? So, so structure is not bad just as long as the structure is like us building a tabernacle where everything is perfect unto God. And if he wants to come and ruin the meeting and stop the trumpeters and his glory cloud comes in, let him do it. But we are going to be excellent in everything that we do, right? So that's what order produces. Order produced a measure of presence that they had to stop ministering in because God just took over. This is what we're heading toward. But let me tell you about what, what disorder produces. You ready? This is, this is Leviticus. And this one might be good for you to turn to. Anyone know where Leviticus is? No? Don't read that one much. It's a little tough to get through, but the Lord's still there, you know? This is Leviticus. I'm gonna start at the end of chapter nine, verse 23, okay? The end of chapter nine, verse 23. So order, if you're taking notes, 2 Chronicles 5, that's order. Okay, Leviticus 10 is what wrong order, is what disorder produces, but I'm gonna start at the end of nine. Verse 23. And Moses and Aaron, listen, went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire, listen, came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When the people saw it, right? There's a secret in this. When the people beheld it, it it provoked a response in them. They shouted and fell on their faces. I want you to remember that, okay? Because I'm gonna take you through some scriptures where you saw and depending on how you respond when you saw determines if he comes. Because the Pharisees saw, right? We learned this last week. The Pharisees thought they knew God and they're standing in front of God having no idea who he is, right? The Pharisees had a wrong idea of God. In other words, they had an idol in their life that they thought was God. So while the true living God, the son of the living God is standing in front of them, they didn't honor him, they didn't value him. And so it kept them from him. Right, but, but then you got a woman at a well who, who encounters the Lord, responds correctly, and her whole life gets changed, right? So Jesus can be in the room right now in this moment, and if you don't recognize him, you won't get the benefits of his presence. My dad would always say recognition is presence. You have to recognize him, right? If I invite somebody over to my house and, and they get there and I have them sit on the couch and I'm sitting on the other side of the couch and I never look at them and I never talk to them. I, I really didn't welcome them into my home. They were just there and I didn't notice that they were there. And, and when I don't notice that they're there, I don't give them power to add anything into the atmosphere. Are you tracking with me? Like, like you can be standing in the corner of the room, but until I recognize you, you're, in the, you're not really in the room to me until I see that you're in the room. Is that simple enough? You're, you're not really there, like, you know, the sayings, like, does a tree falling in the forest really make noise? Well, you gotta see it to hear it to believe it, right? And so recognition equals presence, but you have rooms and churches packed with people that are not falling prostrate before the Lord because they don't even notice or recognize he's in the room, right? And so these people saw something. How many of you know God is tangible? He's substance. This shaky pulpit is substance. He's more real than the substance of this pulpit. If I, if I know when I bump into the pulpit, I should know when I bump into God, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not, not seen. If you don't believe God is substance, you will never experientially know him on the earth. 
He's tangible. The disciples said, him who we have seen, heard, and handled. Everyone say handled. Handled with our hands. That is sick. They, they, their bodies became discerning of his presence. Does the Bible say yes or no that he will quicken our mortal bodies? It doesn't say resurrected ones. That's wild. You know what the word quickened is? It's the moment that Jesus is laying in the grave. And before he, he takes the stuff off of his face, you know, you imagine like starts unwrapping it and stands up. Quickening is the moment when the spirit brought life back into his body. Before he stood up, the standing up is he's raised from the dead, right? But before he stood up, it says that when he was quickened, right? In Ephesians 2, we were quickened with him. That word is that same fire that was like life all of a sudden quickens your body. Anyone ever experienced that? Like where God just shows up and something jolts inside of you. We fight that in church because we've been taught by religion that God is not a God that is about feelings. And we teach against feelings, but he saved your soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions. If, if listen, if you think that there's no feelings involved, you are very deceived. Now, feelings shouldn't master you because your spirit should master that which is soul. But I don't know about you, but like today during worship, I am weeping before the Lord. And I don't know really why I'm weeping. It's just he comes close and you start crying. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Or like you're, you know, you're in your room praying in the morning and it's fine and you're fine and you're sleepy and you just had coffee and you're happy. Like you just, but, and, and it's not like sad tears. And then all of a sudden this moment comes where you're like, what is happening to me? And you turn off everything and you forget about yourself and your tears pray more than your mouth does. Anyone ever been there? Like this liquid, like Corey Russell calls it liquid prayer, Right? And you feel afterwards, you're like, I didn't accomplish much, right? Like I just, I, pr- I cried for an hour and a half, you know? And Lord, I didn't get through my list. I, I didn't get to pray for my kids and my because I was crying too hard. And you leave more filled up through liquid tears, right? Liquid prayer than sometimes you do through all of your religiosity that you said a million times and you say it, you know, how many of you are like, you pray the same prayer every day? I, I'm there, like you pray the same thing and you gotta keep praying it until you actually mean it, right? Right, you actually know you're praying when you forget you're praying. Did you hear that? You know you're worshiping when you forget you're leading worship. Like I really know I've stepped into something when I absolutely forget that you're on a platform. I remember when Eric and I did the prayer room um, at Habitation, there was like 30 minutes of silence. And Eric afterwards said, bro, I went somewhere and it was not in that room. He said, and I opened my eyes and I was like, oh, wow. I, he forgot he was even there. Like you really know you're worshiping when you get lost. When you forget about everybody in the room and the schedule and the timesheets and all the stuff, right? So there's a, there's a quickening, there's a reaction to the tangible God. Everyone say tangible. tangible. The tangible God that causes me, like anyone in the military, raise, okay, raise your hand. Jonathan, let me ask you a question. If a general walks into the room and you're sitting down, what do you do? Stand up, Stand up like a soldier, real quick. There's something about that. Gosh. Okay, sit back down. Do it again. There's a general that walks in the room. Look. See that? See, that's sick. I like that. That's legit. That's so sick. You know, but there's something about somebody walks into a room 
You know, like for example, I, I've, I, the president, you know, they gotta, make a, they gotta make a decision about, do we drop a bomb here or whatever? And it's three in the morning. I, I've seen, I, just hear me out. I, I've seen like the, you know, the documentaries and, and they would go into like the war room or whatever and they're all exhausted. They had to wake up in the middle of the night because the war is overseas. And no matter how tired they are, when the president comes into the room, everybody stands at attention. There, if we do that for our government, God bless our government. But if we do that for generals in the military, I, I gotta be honest with you as your pastor. I struggle a bit when God walks into a room and people are like. I'm not saying you can't encounter God when you're sitting down. I sit down every morning and encounter God. But I'm talking about that which is in your heart. I'm talking about that which there's a posture in your heart that stands at attention when God walks into a room. Who cares how tired your legs are, how you feel, my puppy died, whatever. The king walked into the room. And the king is not a figment of our imagination. He's not some theory that we got. He is a real person. And a real person, right, a real spirit of God that is a person came into the King's University on a Sunday morning at 1030. And what I'm weary of is that I pray we never have a church that didn't recognize when we're rubbing elbows with God. Think about it. Jesus looks at Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how you missed your moment of visitation. I mean, these people are rubbing elbows with Jesus. They are rubbing elbows with the one that they were created through, for, and unto. They're rubbing elbows with the word made flesh who holds all things together by the word of his power, and they have no idea he's there. Now, you're telling me people that had him in the flesh didn't know he's there? I'm telling you, people that don't have him in the flesh right now, we are packed with churches that go to church, and, we, and, and, I, and I love churches, and I love the bride, but the thing is, is that the Lord is, is coming for a bride that is ready. Everyone say ready. Ready. Yeah. A bride that when Jesus walks in, it's not just the worship team that recognizes him in the room, but there's a quickening that happens in your spirit that says, I got to stand at attention because my king just walked in. And everything begins to change inside of a people that says, no, 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 you don't understand. I know a God that touched me. I don't know about this theory that you've got, but I've got a God that makes me cry for no reason. A God that causes me to jump when my legs hurt, a God that causes me to, to dance when I don't feel like it, a God that causes me to look like an idiot in front of people. There is this God that he wants to introduce his bride to. It says, man, in a moment, you'll go from, from thinking you got it all together, right? Like I, I'll never forget, and I've shared this testimony a lot, but it's just the Lord's, I think, on it. You know, I, I'll never forget when I worked for my uncle and I was not experiencing God. I, I was catching everybody and saving their lives, but I wasn't experiencing what they were experiencing. And I'm like, these people are crazy. I mean, like they're flying everywhere. What, like, is this real? But I was a sick catcher, I'll be honest. Like, I mean, I was, I was way better than Gabriel. <laughs> I pray for somebody sometimes, Gabriel's like, and just watches them fall. And I'm like... <laughs> We have to pay for the medical bills, Gabriel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you. Tanner comes and he's like, okay, okay, see. We're, we're, we're gonna do some catcher training in the future here. Um, but I mean, I'm like, I'm a catcher, it's awesome. 
but I'm not experiencing anything, and, and I'm thinking to myself, what's wrong with me? My uncle points at me in the middle of my thought and says, why are you doubting the Holy Spirit? And I said, ooh. Went to the hotel room and repented and thought, you know what? I'm not gonna try to figure it out. I think the secret is, is just lean into the mystery of God and say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I want it. And I think the problem is with a lot of people is we miss encounter with God because we're trying to figure out the encounter with God, right? Like if I put a chair on the other side of the stage, I'll never, I'll, and that chair represents encounter. If I try to get to that chair, I'm never gonna get there. But if I just minister to the Lord and forget how I get there, all of a sudden you're in the chair and you don't know how you got there, right? That's encounter with God. So I'm, I'm in the back and I'm like, Lord, I'm just gonna worship you. That's all I know how to do. And next thing I know, I've got snot hanging and I'm shaking it and it's not, and I got a suit on because we were required to wear suits. And he's not exactly the man that he is today. You know, he comes to the church and he's all like kind and gentle. And I'm like, who, what's the angle here? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I'm on to him, you know, he's like all grandpa now. Like back in the day, man, if you were not in your position, he was yelling at you in public, you know? So, so I wasn't there as the catcher and he's slamming on the pulpit, where is my nephew? And, and I'm trying to make it up the aisle and I look like a fool. And the Lord has a way of ruining dignity. And the people that I'm making fun of the night before that I'm like, what is wrong with this person? Like, that's not real. Is that really real? All of a sudden, I'm the guy getting hit by the jacket and, and flying down the stairs and I don't get any of it. And I think the Lord has a way of surpassing your brain, like Todd says, to get to your heart, right? And, and I mean, I've heard so many stories of uh, one of the original worship leaders of Power and Love says, yeah, I didn't believe any of it. And I, and I went to one of his meetings and I sat in the back just so I could like joke around and, and your uncle went touch to a section. And he said, and I saw something like a wave and I was a little scared, but I was like, I'm gonna be fine. And he said, something went through my feet, into my body, out my hands and I hit the wall. People are like, why? I don't know why, but it's awesome. <laughs> you know, like why when they came to arrest Jesus, at the garden and all he said in the book of John was, I am he. And when he said that, the whole militia flew back. Why? And then they give no context. And then the dudes still arrest him. This makes zero sense to me. I'm like, okay. I'm like, what, what the, you know? Back to, back to the strange fire. He's tangible, amen? That was a long, sorry. Strange fire, okay. So listen, they saw him and they fell. But then you get to chapter 10, verse one. And it says, then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. I want you to hear this. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. God didn't kill them. They were just out of order. Just like Uzzah, out of order. The reason Uzzah died is because they did not inquire of God. They didn't hear a command of God. They, David went to the people and he said, what do you think is a good idea to do? And they said, this is a good idea. Just do all that's in your heart. And then in chapter 15, he says, we did not inquire of God the proper order. The order was never an ark of a covenant on a cart pulled by oxen in 1 Chronicles 13. The order was on the shoulders of a priesthood. So it's interesting that, that when Uzzah touched it, he died because the order was actually that men were to touch it. But it had to be on a priesthood. 
So the disorder killed him. It's, you know, it's like, and I've said this, but it's just like fire. Fire in, in, an, order envi- in an orderly environment warms you and it's cozy. But when it's out of order and it's wild, it can kill you and your family, right? And so they were doing a, a good thing. I mean, they're giving incense unto the Lord. They're, they're doing what they saw their, their fathers do and their mothers do, but the problem was is he didn't command them to do it. And my question is, is how much are we doing inside of the church that he didn't tell us to do? Like, like how much are we doing and getting the accolades and accomplishing the influence, but we spend, listen, if we actually like took a, a, an examination of our lives, my, my question would be, is the secret altar more important than the public display? Right? Because you know that the word says that those that find him in secret, he'll reward you openly. The problem is, is we want the reward openly, but we don't actually give our lives to that which is secret. And, and we just kind of fit him in on the way to work. And the Lord is coming to a generation, a bunch of Levites asking for a higher standard. Longing for, for the liquid prayer that does something inside of you and, and it quickens you. But there's, there's this thing, strange fire. Now listen, the Lord, they get devoured and Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke. Now imagine, okay, imagine your sons just die and your leader comes to you and said, well, God said, that's kind of offensive, right? He says, this is what the Lord spoke saying by those who come near me. I don't know why that hits so hard. I must be regarded as holy. Underline, write it down. I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. This is not a game. This isn't about you just having some experience. It's about me being glorified inside of a people. When you come to me, I must be regarded as holy. I love that it says, not that we needed to be holy coming to him. You can come to him as dirty as you want and he makes you holy as he is holy, right? But when you grow, how many of you know we've gotta grow beyond the elementary principles, okay? We, we've gotta grow in the Lord. If we're just walking in a circle, there's something wrong. Paul said, do we have to go back to the elementary principles and makes raising the dead one of those? That's like the pinnacle of Christianity today. Like if that's elementary, what's college, Right? So how many of you want to grow? How many of you want us to, we want to increase into the Lord. We want to understand the glory of God. We want to understand what provokes him. Well, we have to understand, and I don't want you to be, because I can already, I heard it when I was actually preparing for this. Well, I don't, we can come to him just as we are. Here's the issue, is you don't stay as you are. If you come to him as you are, and then you stay as you are, you didn't ever recognize him. You prayed a prayer and you prayed a prayer to get to heaven and you might get there because you made a confession, but you know, it doesn't just say make a confession with your mouth. You know what else it says? Believe in your heart. So my question is how many of us have made a confession but didn't actually believe in our heart, which is actually behold him from the deepest place of who we are, right? Because when you behold him from the deepest place of who you are, it changes everything about your life. It change, listen, we, we say it's not about your condition, it's about your position. Well, it is, 
But if your position doesn't change your condition, you have a thought and a theory of a position that doesn't exist. You have to be distinct. So we don't just get to pray a prayer and hang out and look like the world until the Lord comes back, right? It's not about just praying a prayer. It's about becoming that prayer that you're praying. And there comes a point where God says, you are my beloved son. It took Jesus, listen, 30 years before he was publicly announced. 30 years before he's publicly announced. My dad would always tell me, William is your child. William likes to help me. And it doesn't, he, like we got the car cleaned the other day. And he's like, can I help you? And I know it's gonna add about 15 minutes to the experience. And he doesn't really clean anything. He just stays in one spot. And then he shows me other spots and says, look how good I'm doing. I'm like, you're doing great. And then I'll clean something. And then he comes and rubs his fingers on it. And I'm like, but he believes with his heart that he is co-laboring with me. Like Christians, you know? Like, we believe we're getting a lot done, and God's like, you're so cute, you know? <laughs> so my son, like, has this idea that he's, like, the greatest helper of all time, and I make him believe like he is, you know what I'm saying? But there's gonna come a point when I'm really, and I'm so excited about it, when I'm really gonna be able to be like, hey, can you go clean my car? And he's gonna go, oh, and I'm gonna go, no, 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 go clean my car. My dad would say, Jenny said, that's right, Trent. So <laughs> Trent's like, but there comes a point when he's no longer your child and he turns into your son. Amen. Sons carry the father's name. They represent the father. Sons, you can put weight on a son and trust that he can carry it. But your child, you take care of. He's dependent and we need to stay dependent. But he, like without my wife and I, my, especially my wife, my kids don't make it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know what we would all do without my wife. It's a whole, I mean, she's a blessing from the Lord above. But there's gonna come a day when I'll expect my son to take care of his mother. Now I tell him when I go out of town, you take care of mommy. And he's like, absolutely. <laughs> you know, but mommy's gonna take care of him. But there's gonna come a day when that absolutely is like, he probably will be able to beat me up, but I'll still mind, make him think in his mind that I can take him. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like my dad. Like, I, we, Costi and I can full on take my dad. You know what I'm saying? But there's just this weird, like, no, he's dad, and we're still afraid, even though he's gray and short. You know, like, there's just, there's just something about him, you know? I have not got to any of this, but we're going to get there. All right. But there comes a day when we have to grow, and this is that day for this church, right? Where the questions of regard him as holy, well, what about the lost? Well, if, guys, if the lost walk into this room and they see 500 people engaged with God, and they experience the tangibility of his presence, and it's so real that it's undeniable that they say, what on earth did I just walk into? Before we ever get them to answer an altar call, he will be the desire of the nations. How is he gonna be the desire of the nations? Through a people that regard him as holy. And I feel the Lord on that. The people that regard God as holy. We are too casual today in church. We are just too whatever, you know, like, Let's just, or how you all doing? Let's, I mean, just worship just started and then it ends. 
And I'm not afraid to talk about this. This is who we've always been and we will always be and we won't change the channel for anybody. People, man, I can't even begin to tell you. It's too loud, it's too quiet. It's, you guys, the dan- the, what are the dancers doing? That, show me that in the Bible, you know, all this. I mean, it's every day. And as a pastor, I go, I love you, but I don't care. And it's so freeing, and it's so freeing. Like, the power of saying no. It's unbelievable. Like, well, what about this? No. What if we do this? Yeah, no. So you're telling me for, for the next 20 years, you're just gonna have conferences and all you're gonna do is minister to the Lord? What, what about other things? No, we're, we're saying no. I, it's amazing how little we got done at Habitation and God was just there and everyone's like, I don't know what happened, but God was there. That is the city, according to the book of Ezekiel that God is building, is the city, listen, hold on, hold on, hold on. The city's not gonna be identified as we got a lot done. The city is identified as God is there. That's the name of the city in Ezekiel. So there's, there's this thing called strange fire when we do things he's not commanding us to do. So if we don't learn how to say no, we're gonna be devoured by the things we're saying yes to. For example, ready, for example, uh, we're gonna do 500 programs and have every ministry available to everybody because it's all about the people, right? We, we, are, we, are gonna, we are gonna make sure that every single person can get plugged in. So what we're gonna do, because that's a good thing, that's a good desire, is we're gonna get really busy. And, and, and I'm gonna meet with 17 people a week because that's what pastors do, right? And I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna do this, and all of a sudden I start serving this wheel called an organization that we label nonprofit, but it really is just an organization. And I'm gonna start serving this thing that came through intimacy. God gave us a blessing called Risen Nation that only came through a private empty room. When no one was in there, God birthed a vision in a secret chamber with God. And then all of a sudden, because intimacy produces children, Right, because when you're intimate with your spouse and you have kids, and, and get it, we, we get it. Like you get three kids all of a sudden and you're a young married couple and, and all of a sudden you're taking care of the blessing that intimacy brought and the danger is, is you forget about the intimacy that brought it. Right, so the danger is, is as we grow, we try to add things to sustain the growth. He is the only one that can sustain the growth. He is the only one that can keep our feet planted in this place. And my desire is that people do not come for anything we have to offer them other than the presence of Jesus, right? Like I literally heard during worship, I'm thinking to myself, I, I really did not know or my expectations, the Lord's dealing with me, you know what I'm saying? But I'm thinking to myself, like, Lord, they, they showed up, you know, like they're, they came. This is mind blowing, you know? And the Lord speaks to me and he said, they're only here for me. They're only, listen, they are only here for the Lord because there was something offered here. We don't really have much to offer here. I mean, and don't get used to this. This is not what the new building looks like. Just telling, I mean, yeah, it it doesn't look anything like this, you know? This This is incredible, but the new building's incredible too. It's just tight quarters, and it's going to be fun, you know? Um, and thank God the Bowden is going to let us use parking. That's a, you have no idea. We're going to get Gabriel in a golf cart. He'll pick you guys up. 
put a hat on? No? All right. You're going to have to get there early. See, it's going to create expectation because you're actually going to have to like show up on time, believe it or not. It's wild. Anyway, um, I need the word. The, if, the, if the team's up here, it'll help me be faster. Can I, can I get the worship team? Because this is it's scary how, how much. Okay. Can we get them? All right, cool. There you are. All right. Uh, no, I don't know if I want to do that. Well, let me do that. Yeah, yeah. Go to Mark 6, super quick. I just feel free. Anyone just feel free? Yeah. The Lord is here. Mark 6, starting in 1. Really, really quick. It's labeled Jesus rejected at Nazareth, okay? Verse 1. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished. So they're amazed at what he's saying. They're not honoring what he's saying. Okay? When did this man get these things, they said? And what wisdom is this which he is given to him, that is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Here's where they go wrong. Is this not the carpenter? the son of Mary, the brother of James, are, are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Listen to this, guys. They're offended because they thought they knew him. I, I've watched this. I've watched this before, right? Where somebody knows you as like a, someone knows you in a certain light, Okay. And then all of a sudden, they don't maybe see your progression. They don't maybe see your growth. And then the next time they see you, they see you in a different light. Like maybe at one time, you were learning what it means to be a leader, and now you are a leader. And your leadership offends them now because they're still holding you against, they're still holding you to who you used to be. Anyone know? For example, you got saved. How many of you were plucked out of your family? Like the first one plucked out of your family, right? And all of a sudden, God plucks you out out of darkness and he puts you into his marvelous light and just even if you are the kindest nicest holiest person now and you used to hate them and curse at them the fact that you are not what you were offends them anyone know what i'm talking about call you holier than thou whatever you know oh you're a big jesus guy now but they don't realize that you that you are a better person to them so they can't see what's right in front of their face because they're still attached to an old thing. Even though they complained about you when you were cursing them out and they talked behind your back, now that you're no longer doing that and you are this different person, they still love the old person because change is offensive to people. Like this is why I, I, you know, you just assume and maybe we're further along than I thought, but you assume when change comes and we say things like following the cloud, Man, usually when change comes, people leave because everyone wants God to do a new thing, but when he does it, we really don't like change. We like stability because it's safe and I can control it, right? But Jesus shows up and they knew him in a familiar way. They, they thought that they knew him and all of a sudden he's working miracles. And even in doing the new thing because of that familiar spirit that was on them, it kept them from him. And then it goes on and this is, this is wild wild to me 
So it goes on and it says, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. May we not be his house that has a familiar spirit. May we be potent that he walked in and just like it was when we got saved, when we said, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I was yet a sinner, but he died for me. Like if, like remember when it meant something to you? And then you grow up and you think you're growing up, but really you're just getting further away from the beginning. He says, don't forget your first love. Go back to your first, first works. It says this. In his own house, verse five, now he could do no mighty work there. We are talking about the son of God. He couldn't do mighty work there. And it says, except some in which he laid his hands on and a few got healed. Verse six, and he marvels at their unbelief. He marvels at their unbelief. Then he went about in the villages in a circuit teaching. I want you to realize something. Whether you agree or not, it's in scripture, that you have the ability to hinder the Holy Spirit. That's, I want you, and I want you to hear the love of God in this, that you have the ability to grieve him. That word, how many of you have ever read that? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You know what the word grieve means? To make sad. It means to make sorrowful. It's Jesus looking at Jerusalem and saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It's Jesus showing up to Lazarus' death and Martha says, if you would have been here. And then when he responds, I am the resurrection and I am the life, she goes, I know, I know. And she thinks that she has theology and something figured out. But then Mary comes, but her response is different. And she didn't stand up with her theological arguments. She fell at his feet. And it moves God's heart because she found the right posture. She worshiped him. And she said the same exact thing as her sister, but she had a different posture. And it moves God. And it says that Jesus wept. And we've got cute things in church, like he wept because he had emotions like us. No, he wept because they were looking at the resurrection and the life and they couldn't recognize him. I mean, they're saying, if you would have just been here, he's like, have you not seen me interrupt funerals? Remember when I raised the dead? Remember when I healed the sick? Has, how many times do I have to be with you for you to realize that it doesn't matter if they're dead for a week? I am the resurrection and I am the life. And you think that you've got to wait for that? I am right here. And I feel like he's saying to the church, I am right here. You are waiting to die to experience something, but I am right here, right now. And it says that Jesus wept. I think that is the, that is the grieving of the Holy Spirit. I think he comes into environments and they worship him in his name, but they don't give him the room. And it makes him sorrowful. God can't get sorrowful. Well, it says in the Bible, don't grieve him, which means he has the ability to be grieved. And when you start to recognize that he's a real person and actually feels, changes everything. All of a sudden it goes from, I don't wanna sin and get away. I don't wanna break his heart. There's a posture. And you have all these instances in scripture where you see God hindered because he wasn't regarded as holy. And I know that that bothers you, but it's in the Bible. He's not regarded as holy. It's why we only see 15% of the people healed. How many of you believe that if he prayed for you, you'd be healed? 
So do you think that it's his problem when you don't get healed? No. But do you think that there is a co-laboring that he's invited us into that's unbelievable? That he made a covenant with man in the beginning. I'm gonna give you dominion over the earth. I'm gonna give you jurisdiction over the earth. And he never took his covenant back. He never took it back. And then he says, greater things shall you do. He said, I have to go. I'm gonna go. But I'm gonna give you the same power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, I'm gonna give you. And he invites us into this measure of co-laboring, right? So you see that there's, there's, when you see rightly, right? When you see rightly, it provokes a response. Listen, it provokes a response from the Lord. In Numbers 26, it says, then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces then. Everyone say then. The glory of the Lord appeared to them, not until they fell on their faces. First Chronicles 29, 20, then David said to all the assembly, now bless the Lord God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord and God and the God of their fathers, and they bowed low and did homage to the Lord, to the king, and he came. Revelation 7, 11, and all the angels were standing around the throne and all the elders and the four living creatures, they fell, everyone say fell. They fell on their faces, wow, they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Leviticus 9, 24, then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar when all the people saw it. If you rightly see it, and they shouted and fell on their faces, say fell. They saw and they responded correctly and it provoked fire. Genesis, listen, or I'm sorry, Numbers 24, 4, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, listen, who sees the vision of the Almighty. So you behold him falling down. Everyone say falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. Genesis 17, 3, Abram fell on his face and then... God talked to him. It's all about posture. Leviticus 9.24. Nope, just read that. Matthew 2.11. Listen, after coming into the house, they saw the child that was with Mary. They just saw a baby. And it says, and they fell on the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Matthew 28.17. When they saw him, they worshiped him. They're watching him ascend. They, some saw him, others saw him. It says that those that saw him worshiped him, but there were some that doubted. You can have a room full of people, some doubt, some worship. And the ones that know how to worship God are the ones that get the glory of God. Revelation one, I'm almost done, 10 through 17. I'm just excited, sorry, this is like our first time here. Just, just give me a minute. Revelation 1, 10 through 17, and I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, and, and I'm gonna jump to verse 12. Then I turned, listen, to see the voice. He turned to see, Corey talked about it a few weeks ago, that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held, he held seven stars and from his mouth, a sharp two-edged sword. Listen, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Listen to John. When I saw him, I fell. Everyone say fell. I fell at his feet as though I was, I was dead. And he said, fear not. This is what I love about God. 
you bow before him and he comes to you and he lifts you up. But you can't be lifted up. How many remember it says, if you're invited to a feast, don't go sit at the head table, be invited there, right? This is that. You fall at his feet and then he invites you to where he is, but there's an order. Revelation 4, 9 through 11, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, casting their crowns. This is what's happening in this very moment in heaven. Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you have created all things, and by your will they exist. So when you see, listen, rightly, you rightly and you rightly respond, that response, listen, provokes him. I want you to hear something. He's so faithful to his covenant as you being his sons and daughters that he won't bypass his covenant. In other words, he won't bypass you to do something in the earth. So much so that God became a man. I need you to hear this. Man caused a problem named Adam. And then Jesus comes as the last Adam as a man. Second Timothy says there's one mediator between God and man, the man. Everyone say the man, Christ Jesus. He won't do anything in the earth unless it's through his man. He's so faithful to his covenant that he won't bypass you to get something accomplished. That's wild. He invites you into his story so much so that he said, I'm gonna go and intercede for you. I mean, he could have stayed and set up camp and, and physically remained. He had the power to physically remain and he could have been king of kings in the flesh, but he so desired a people that would long for him in love that he said, I'm gonna go hide for 2,000 years and intercede on your behalf because I want you to do it. It's mind-blowing to me. And he won't bypass you. And so you see these moments in scripture where his own mother provokes the timetable of God to be moved up. He says, I'm not ready when she says they're out of wine. He says, what do I have to do with it? I feel like we as a church are, are supposed to come to the Lord in this moment and say about the church in the West, Lord, there's no more wine. Come on, there's, there's no more wine. And he comes and he says, what does that have to do with me? And he, she looks at the people and she says, whatever he says, do it. Well, that was the order. Moses said that they died because they didn't follow his command. Mary knew if I can just get them to follow his command, I'll provoke him to move. And all of a sudden she says, follow him. So you have leaders today that say, follow me. No, 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 no. Follow him. And we call it order and we call it authority and it's control and it's manipulation and all of this stuff. And we want movements built around our anointing. But God is raising a new breed of leader that are saying, this is not about us. And we have stopped revival because we have made it about us. And we start counting the offering and we are impressed counting the people and we're impressed at the move of God and we call it our movement. This is not the movement of risen nation. This is God's movement. And until he gets a people that say, you are the king, we hinder him, believe it or not. So Mary provokes the timeline of God. He says, what does this have to do with me? They're out of wine. I feel like as a church, we're saying they're out of wine. What does this have to do with me? Follow him. And all of a sudden, he turns water into wine because his mama provoked him. And God is coming to a generation saying, provoke me. I feel the Lord, man, provoke me. 
Mary, the same thing, we just read about it. Martha didn't provoke him, but Mary did. Corey Russell says, every time Jesus found Mary, she was at his feet. Don't tell me I can just sit there and I don't have to move and I don't have, no, no, no. Stand up again, stand up again. That's the response. Jesus walks into a room. That's the response right there. Everything inside of you better stand at attention. Everything inside of you when Jesus is in a room better quicken your spirit to say, God, the king is here. I'm standing at attention. I'm not telling you you can't be on the floor. I'm not telling you that you can't sit in your seat. What I'm telling you is if your heart does not quicken, you don't know him. People are like, man, you've made it all about feelings. I'm telling you right now, there was a season of resignation. I'll never forget it. And God said, if you don't take your place, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I'd look behind me, everybody's sitting down waiting for worship to end. And you know what we did? We said, we're gonna fight even harder. And so we teach a people that when God walks in, their posture changes. I'm done, I'm I'm done. Yeah, I don't feel like going anymore. You get it, you get it right. I remember my dad one time saying, listen, if, if I went to my dog and I said, sit to my dog, my dog doesn't know the length. He doesn't understand sit. He doesn't know that I'm telling him to sit down. What your dog learns is a sound. And there's a certain sound like sit, roll over, go, get it, get down. My dog does not understand the get down part. It's a little thing I just want to, hunted sometimes in love you know dog lovers but you train the dog through sound and there comes a point where you release a sound and his posture changes based on the sound what the Lord is training us in as Levites the whole house is how to release a sound that provokes a response from God but we have to know how to recognize that sound that when he comes in, everything within us changes posture. What's gonna happen is the lost are gonna walk inside of this room and they're gonna watch a whole people react to a sound and they're gonna go, I want that. His presence is the greatest evangelist to ever hit the earth. Uh, His presence is the greatest prophet. His presence is the greatest, it's all about the presence of Jesus. And I'm gonna preach this until I am blue in the face, until there's a people that understand. Listen, and I get it, like, I'm not telling you if you sit down, I'm gonna walk up to you and yell at you or anything. I've had amazing encounters sitting down. Can we go deeper than that, okay? What I'm talking about is the posture of our hearts. Amen? So let's lift our hands. Lord, we love you. And Lord, here, we don't want strange fire. We wanna follow the command. We want to follow the command. God, put us in order. Put us in order, God. Put us in order where everything is excellent toward you. I thank you that your presence is answering questions today that they don't even know how to ask. 